Hey everybody, this is John Fusco, and you're listening to the No Film School Podcast. Ashley McKenzie is the type of director that does it all. A Canadian multi-hyphenate runs her own production company, writes her own scripts, and directs all of the company's films. When she's on set, however, she gives up almost all notions of planning and control to make her shots as organic as possible. For her debut feature, Werewolf, which has won awards at almost every regional Canadian festival she's brought it to, this included throwing the actors into real-life situations, adding events into a scene without telling them, keeping the camera rolling after the scene had cut, and even casting non-actors as key characters at locations on the fly. The film itself follows a pair of outcast methadone users who push a rusty lawnmower door-to-door to cut grass for money that will later feed their methadone addiction. Back at the Toronto International Film Festival, I sat down with Mackenzie and her two lead actors, Andrew Gillis and Bree McNeil, to discuss their intensely real collaboration. Enjoy. Hello. Hi. <laughs> I'm going to ask you all to introduce yourself and uh, give uh, your role in the making of this film to start off. So go ahead. My name's Ashley McKenzie, and I'm the writer, director, editor, co-producer of Werewolf. Great. Everything. <laughs> uh, my name's Andrew Gillis, and I play Blaze in Werewolf. And my name's Bria McNeil, and I play Nessa in Werewolf. Great. So, producer, director, editor, everything. Um, that sort of seems like uh, the mo- the modern way, the multi-hyphenate. Yeah, a friend of mine who has a film at TIFF, he's an animator, and he was asking someone advice, and he was saying, oh, I do all these things, like... I wear so many hats, I sometimes feel like a hat rack. <laughs> that's the favorite thing I've ever heard that tip so far. <laughs> that's my new thing, is like if I'm stressed out, overwhelmed, do many, too many things, I like feel like a hat rack. <laughs> Would you say that that's all sort of under the same umbrella or ambition of, of attempting to be a director these days? Or would you, do you necessarily have to be all of those things now to create your own independent film? Or... I think the reason why maybe I end up doing so much is because I make films like outside of a production center. So there's, there's not as there's not really many crew around or people to work with. <laughs> Basically, I'm sort of isolated. So you have you your know. own production company, right? Yeah. Do you want to speak about that a little bit? Yeah, I have a company called Grassfire Films, and it's owned by myself and my producer Nelson McDonald, and we've worked together since high school. So. Yeah, I guess because we sort of are making films um, in a remote place, we've just decided to do things on a smaller scale, and we've worked, yeah, as a team for a long time, but we haven't really expanded our, our company to, to include more people because it's there's just not that many people around, so we just end up doing things like I want. I was going to have someone else cut a trailer for my film, but then it's like when... You just need to get it done, and you're in your room in your office by yourself, and you're trying to like email people to figure it out that live across the country. It's like I should just do it right now. Would you say that it makes things simpler in that regard, or is it uh, more just more intense? I think it makes things simpler if you're working with people who don't get you. If if you know if you have collaborators that aren't like minded, then it's more work. So speaking about collaborators, let's talk a little bit about. Uh, your cast here it's just very much a two-hander almost um 
and you guys are non-actors, I guess is the term. Somewhere. I, I don't really like that term. <laughs> it sounds like I don't act. Yeah, how would, how would you explain that term? I'm, I'm, I'm interested in it. Uh, I just write it off. I don't, I don't use it myself. I don't like, if you, if you acted in something, you're not a non-actor. Right. So what, what would you define yourself as in that sense, I guess? A some of the time actor. A some of the time actor. <laughs> like, yeah. Was it your ambition to be an actor from like I guess uh, a, a younger age, or is that what you? Uh, well, lately I've been thinking about that, and in retrospect, I think I've always been pretty dramatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was really good at faking sick and getting out of school. <laughs> That's <laughs> me too. Yeah, stuff totally. like that. Um, once I was at the, I went to the hospital because I had a flu, and the waiting room was very full, and in in Sydney. Nova Scotia, it's very hard to see a doctor, even if you're very sick. Like, you can be waiting for two hours with a broken knee. And so I was just dying with the flu. I couldn't take it. So I walked out in front of triage and I faked this really good faint. My eyes rolled back <laughs> and I hit the floor. So, you know, I, I think I'd, I've been doing a lot of things like that all my life. So how did you guys meet in the in the first place? Well, we're from the same small town, which is sort of like a sports town, not really an arts town. And we're both in, into art. Like Andrew has a, had a band for ever, as long as I've known him. And I would walk down to his house, knock on his door, and he'd give me a CD. And yeah, we just sort of connected because we were both into film and music and that kind of thing. So yeah. Cool. And how about you? Um, well, this was my first feature film. So I guess that's why I, I, I've wasn't a film actor up until this point. Um, I've done theater for years and years, um, and I'm in university right now at Grenfell University, at Memorial University, Grenfell Campus. Um, I'm my third year there now. So I love, like, I've always loved theater, and I've loved it, and now I've been a big part of it for quite some time. But then, you know, when Ashley approached me with the movie and everything, I just, I just, I don't know, I fell in love with it, and I really enjoy it now. I, a big thing, I remember when, I went to my first audition with Ashley. I'd done like my first like little scene she gave me and she was like, okay, that was great. That was great. Um, tone everything down by like a thousand percent. And I was like, okay, cool. Oh yeah. Okay, cool. Cause it's like things read so much louder on film than stage. It's insane. Um, so yeah, I, I guess that's more what I would consider. Like I wasn't a film actor until up until this point, but now I really enjoy it. Would you say there's anything else that uh, she did to really, um, get this sort of extremely realistic performance out of you two? Uh, were there any tactics as a director that you really admired or appreciated from her? I think Ashley has tactics, but I don't know what they were. <laughs> <laughs> That's a sign of a good director. I, I always felt like she was doing something to me. <laughs> yeah, um, I say like, I, um, Ashley always kept us like, and I find just by calling us by like our character names. I thought that was a big help like while we were on set. Um, and yeah, I really couldn't notice a lot of things, which is really good, I think, in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah um, I think a big thing was just like creating an, a real environment for you guys to step into and surrounding you guys with real characters, real people who are basically playing themselves. So it's like you guys, you know, definitely put on the shoes of those characters, but then you were like put into this world that I think was pretty immersive. And say like when Bria was doing scenes at the ice cream shop, right. the ice cream shop was open and they were serving food and we just were like kind of threw her in the kitchen. We're like, can you train her how to do this while you guys do this other thing? And they're like, okay. So we're just shooting it while they're open. And then like maybe I would like say some, some you know, uh, feed Bria a line or just 
would develop a scene on the fly and cool. then all of a sudden she's like you know cooking french fries and handing them to customers yeah <laughs> like, that was pretty wild it's like a half hour after just <laughs> doing that so i think it maybe forced you guys to just maybe get in the role in a more authentic way because yeah. everything probably felt really real yeah, it did sure. it felt very real and didn't you you tell me once to take Bria out and teach her how to panhandle and like bump change or something yeah that was before yeah. we were shooting yeah. yeah yeah you guys went downtown and sort of yeah just like saw what was up <laughs> <laughs> so that helped some serious yeah. method acting i guess then um would you I, that was actually one of my questions about um sort of these scenes where it feels like they're just placed right into the real world um like the lawnmower guy and the ice cream people. <laughs> um, those were all just regular people that, how did you manage to sort of get written off to do that? Is it, I'm, I mean, coming from um, like the U.S., there's super stringent rules about, you know, locations and right. all that stuff. But Yeah, well, come shoot in Cape Breton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, we shot non-union, like we didn't use any union actors or crew. And we did, we did, sign releases with everyone that was in the film but say when they're when Ness and Blaze go door to door and knocking on you know asking people to cut their grass we had one of our PAs go door to door and ask people if they would you know be up for doing a scene or we went to friends or family that we thought would do it and we wouldn't rehearse it or anything we would just sort of like are you up for this you want to try it just try it and get them to sign a release and then we'd bring you know we wouldn't even you guys wouldn't even know who was going to be behind the door either huh. you know and they'd go and knock on the door and sometimes it went really well sometimes maybe not so much but there was a dog once and it was horrible yeah. <laughs> a very large dog yeah. who hopped up on the door that was yeah. scary yeah, yeah. yeah he's huge but then that's how we ended up meeting some of the people who have reoccurring parts in the film like Mark who plays Blaze's friend when mm -hmm. they're playing video games and the young boy Donald who Blaze spends some time with their people we just met on location because wow. we're shooting where these people live and you know because we're shooting a film everyone's gonna come out and be like what are you guys doing and and we just start talking and we just meet interesting people and then we're like okay let's try them yeah and the door-to-door -door scene and it worked out so then it's like well Mark this Mark guy and this little boy they're super interesting let's yeah. let's rewrite some scenes and let's reshoot some scenes we already shot and put them in it instead and just sort of so we were like changing the script all the time and, right yeah. So it's almost like a cast-as-you-go sort of process. That's yeah, really I guess a big yeah, piece of advice, I would say, is, like, the power of, like, just discovering talent on location. Mm -hmm. Like, we wouldn't have found those people in our casting process ahead of time. They wouldn't have answered the ads, you know? So it's like, why not? That's what happened at the Tasty Street. We actually cast, I mean, at the ice cream shop where we are shooting, we cast some young women to play those roles. But then when we actually went through the shoot, because they were open and there was actually young women working there, and they, they were more interesting than the huh. people we cast, then it's like, you know, we did all this work, and it was like, oh, we should have just came here long ago. And so did you tell the original people that you cast for those roles to just well, beat it? Or? <laughs> it was, they were in, we shot a lot of footage. We shot like 102 hours of footage, like wow. an 80 to 1 shooting wow. ratio or something. So we shot some stuff with them, but then, yeah, maybe we reshot a few scenes with some of the other women at the, at the ice cream shop. But, but yeah, that's a big thing that I'm like, humbled by as like mm -hmm. all the talent we just discovered um everywhere we went can you talk a little bit about sort of more of the screenwriting process in that sense it seemed like there was a lot of improvisation from you guys um and maybe i don't know some of those tactics that we were talking about earlier um 
to sort of get those scenes moving? Like, would you give them maybe like an objective, like, okay, you have to do everything you can to get the methadone this morning sort of thing? Or so were those scenes built in the moment or were they written out before? As far as like dialogue. Yeah, there was a full script that I worked on for a lot of years. I didn't work on it all those years. In order to just throw it at the window, it wasn't necessarily the plan, but it's just what made sense. Once we started shooting, I think, you know, working with you guys and working with a lot of people on the fly that might just be available for two hours, it's like, okay, let's, we're not going to do this scene in the super scripted way, and we're not going to do it ten times the exact same. We might shoot it three times and do it different every time, and, and that's it. So... I think, like, say with the lawnmower scene when they're interacting with, when their lawnmower is broken, yeah. they're interacting with with Barry. That's an instance where we just showed up and he said, yeah, he'll try. Just come knock on my door someday and I'll try the scene. And I think we did it once and it was just, it was a bit too friendly. There wasn't much tension. So I think I just gave you guys a slight objective and Barry a, a tiny objective too, basically, like, you guys don't trust one another, you're trying to rip one another off kind of thing. Just said something simple, and they did it again, and that's the scene that's that's in the film. Did yeah. you two have a preference for sort of the improvised versus the scripted scenes or the, the way to get into it? Mm, no preference, really, but I, um, I like how they mixed together because I really like to improvise. Um, but some of the stuff that was scripted couldn't have been improvised. Um, and yeah, it's just, that's just the way it worked. I didn't put. I don't. I don't think there was a whole lot of conscious thought about the improvising. It was kind of just roll. Yeah, on it just happened. Yeah. And I think actually, because we all knew the script, when a certain moment would arise, something like they were maybe taking a break and like chilling in the shade or something. Yeah. I look over and I'm like, that's a great image. Let's just go over and put the camera there. And all of a sudden, we're filming them, and they're like, okay, they realize we're filming them, so they kind of get into character. Mm-hmm. Then maybe I would feed them a line. Or, and then maybe they would remember a set of something from the script, a moment, and then they would just segue into that naturally. So the script, because we all knew it, I think you guys yeah. integrated it on, you know, and maybe I did too when we were sort of just flying by the seat of our pants at times. Like, and Yeah, it seemed like you two were like always on in that sense. Like, while watching oh, thanks. the film. Yeah, yeah no that's problem. what you're uh, yeah. <laughs> well, No, like, I mean, while watching the film, it um, it was almost as if, I don't know, you talk about the moment where they're sort of chilling after um, this lawnmower scene where you have to, Ness has to uh, mow the lawn by herself and Blaze is kind of just like hanging out. Um, And there was a moment where, you know, like as a viewer, I could, it felt as if the camera had been turned off and it was just sort of them sitting there and I was like waiting to see if there would be like another action after that or if it would keep going and um anyways not <laughs> really yeah, a question but that was a key moment where that happened where um we did re- we basically so many scenes in the film were actually moments after we ran the actual scripted scene and I wouldn't call cut mm-hmm. and we would just keep it running and we would all just go with it and so much of the film is the moments after the right. actual scene we would find the better scene interesting and it's yeah it's, it's good that you say that because a lot of times i was thinking i was like i hope she doesn't call cut because it's gonna there's some momentum here that's great i mean yeah. that's a, and you never did it always just kept rolling yeah and when you guys were on the step like something really nice was happening and then that would happen and sometimes like 
you know, I would leave the monitor and set and go find someone. Like in that scene, I went to Mark, you know, and I gave him, it's not in the film, but I gave him 20 bucks and I was like, go give them their 20 bucks now. And we would do stuff like that yeah. all the time. Or like, yeah. you know, Andrew would be doing something, you know, as Blaze and I would run and get Nessa and be like, you know, just leave, yeah. leave the stuff for like five minutes and then still be filming <laughs> to like find someone, yeah. find a prop. And I like, feel like eating a cookie, yeah. like over at the coffee table, like, oh yeah, okay. Yeah. Can, you go, <laughs> can you go to Crumbs this? And run like, over. Yeah. I, I find that once I got into the state of mind of the character where I could, you know, run his attitude and stuff like that. And um, that's what I wanted was you to send people in and stuff like that. That worked perfect. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I mean, as far as like advice goes, I don't know if, if you guys read this, but there's like an American cinematography magazine. There's a really good article about Tree of Life. Actually, we were talking about yeah. Tree of Life before this um, with the... Uh, the cinematographer Emmanuel Lubeski, I think, and and he describes their process in Tree of Light. Their sort of set of rules of filmmaking, and one of the things that he did was like called torpedoes, which was basically throwing elements into the scene without the actors knowing. Say like Brad Pitt and Jessica Chastain are doing a scene, and and he would throw one of the kids into the scene, and like my cinematographer and I were really into that idea, so we did do that kind of stuff a lot, and I think it did bring like a a more authentic vibe and just mix it up. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, speaking about the cinematography of the film, it is very distinct. There's a lot of extreme close-ups and sort of framing where you don't actually get to see um, the full sort of figure of the protagonist. There's a lot of mirror shots. Um, can you speak to sort of what aesthetic you were trying to build with those sort of strategies? Yeah, I guess it was just me trying to find an aesthetic I liked. I was always just like, I want to find the shot that I love the most that seems to just capture the scene in an interesting way. Like, I I didn't feel like I wanted to do a wide and a medium and a close or a shot or a reverse shot, I guess. Once I decide I'm not going to use classical film language, then I'm like, okay, what am I going to use? i got to find the thing I like. Like, I've been saying a bunch that there's this quote by John Ford who says there's like 100 places you can put the camera, but only one right place. And I think that's sort of what I was searching for whenever we would, you know, be doing a scene because we didn't shot list or storyboard. So it was just what felt right to my eye and what, you know, made me feel something. And if it was a close up on someone's hands the entire scene or their side of their head or their eye, um, I would do that and just hope that it all in the end would work out and, and that the vision would seem unified, I guess. I guess I would ask why why was this the story that you wanted to tell? Um, why was this an important story for you? It seems you know very much that your production company is sort of isolated and very remote, and this town is also very remote, and these people are very isolated. What's yeah? Because I, I guess there's like always like a few ideas I would say in my head, and I had seen a young couple pushing a lawnmower around in my town doing like uh, this sort of thing, and so that had stuck with me, but I guess maybe what made that idea emerge as opposed to a few other ones at the time was I was moving back to Cape Breton from Halifax in Nova Scotia. I was moving back home and I had been talking to a friend of mine online and he, cause I was finishing one of my other films and he was always saying, you gotta put me in a film, you gotta, uh, I wanna play something. And I was like, okay. Uh, or I, at the time I didn't have anything, but then when I was, you know, driving home, I was thinking, oh, actually, he could be in this um, this film, you know, this uh, film about the couple with the lawnmower. 
And when I thought about that, I started to write it. It just felt like I'm, I'm going home, that's where he lived, and I'm going to start writing that. It just felt like the thing to do. And um, and you'd written some shorts before this, right? You'd yeah. done some shorts. Yeah, I've done what, four, four what short the, films. What was that jump like from short to feature? Uh, a lot more satisfying, actually, because yeah. the thing is, like, you know, when you make a sh- when you make any film, you have to cast all the roles, you got to find all the locations, you got to get all the costumes, you do all this work, and you might shoot for four days, whereas we shot 26 days on Werewolf, and I think it probably took four days for us to figure out who these characters were. And now that we have two great actors playing them, they bring something to the character that's not on the page. You know, you have your own unique way of playing it, so all of a sudden, it probably took four days for me to be like, this is what who Blaze is, I think, and this is who Nessa is. And this is what the story is now that we're doing it. So it probably took that many days to do it. And then from there, I felt like we could evolve the script and take it in the direction that it maybe needed to go as opposed to where I was trying to, you know, script it to go. Um, so because of that, we, I think we evolved the film into a more interesting pl- place. It felt more creative, like, to have the duration to explore the story and the characters, whereas with shorts, I think I always... It felt like you're just an executioner a bit. You go in, you don't have time to explore. I mean, unless you're going to shoot in a non-conventional way, maybe shoot on weekends over a year. But for me, with all my short films, it was just shooting for a few days because I'd often be shooting film, and we couldn't rent the equipment for you know every weekend, and we're shooting in a remote place, so we need to bring everything in from away, which means we can't shoot over a long period of time either. So, yeah, I thought that tr- the transition was more satisfying. And what were some of the ways that having the micro-budget sort of forced you to get creative in that sense yeah it was actually great because we just decided okay we have a micro budget let's not try to make a film by the industry rules because you know my producer would say oh if you get a micro budget and you do that they're just giving you enough rope to hang yourself with is what he would say he's like we're not going to do that so we just decided like early on just to play by our own rules and make a film in a way that made sense for us what our circumstances were what textures we have to work with so I think that is why, I mean, the process we're sort of describing, which is, isn't one of shooting schedules and, and uh, that kind of thing, I think that came out of having a micro-budget and trying to work with that in a way that made sense for the film creatively and artistically and didn't compromise it by trying to force you know, a Hollywood standard of making films onto this small project, you know, which is very far away from Hollywood. It just doesn't make sense to do it that way. So, yeah, I think that was the main thing we tried to do is, like, develop our own way, our own rules of shooting. Great. Um, I guess to wrap things up, I would just ask um, what your best, what's not your, I guess, Mm -hmm. your best advice, but, you know, if you had a piece of advice to give young filmmakers trying to break onto the independent scene, Hmm. what would that be? I don't know if this is the best advice, but this is the first thing that came to my head, and it's a quote. It's Robert Bresson's advice. <laughs> nice. You, you are full of quotes. <laughs> he said, uh, make visible what without you might perhaps never have been seen. Hmm. I think I'm interested in uh, filmmakers doing things that are more specific yeah. and instead of trying to make something again that maybe Hollywood would want to see. I think if people are make, uncovering stories that only they could uncover or that represent something specific where they're from i think it might yeah result in more interesting material yeah i mean i think that's what you did with this movie so it's really like a slice of life that no one would be able to see unless you brought it to the screen yeah and hopefully even though it is so specific i i think that if you really go specific that there's a universality that 
will emerge from that. Cool. Hope. How about you guys? Any advice, not for young filmmakers, but for young actors or any? For young actors? Uh, yes. Um, pay a lot of attention to what people are doing all the time and constantly speculate and uh, question people's motives and think about what they're trying to get out of other people and their interactions. In in the film or in, in, real <laughs> in life, life in general? This is what okay. you can do every day to make yourself into an actor. Huh. Just pay a lot of attention and be very genuinely interested in what everybody else around you is doing all the time. Great. Yeah, I'd say that was a huge thing. Like even just like looking for like, just like Nessa's mannerisms, you just like look at people around you and you're like, how do they sit differently than I do? Or how do they react to people talking to them? Do they make eye contact? Do they not? When do they feel self-conscious and turn into themselves? Like, I think that was a major part of developing Nessa, at least. I don't know about you, but yeah. I think that's for sure for you, too. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, you can you can really drive yourself nuts thinking about maybe how somebody would, would react or how they're supposed to take something, but it's, you know, it's easy to forget that a lot of things that you're going through just happen to your eyes. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of subtleties and... In, um, in uh, the way people present themselves. Yeah, so just like pay attention. Look people in the eye when you're talking to them. Yeah. <laughs> and when they're talking to other people, you know. Cool. Pay attention to the world around you. Yeah. Keep your eyes wide open. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks, guys. This has been very fun. And yeah. Um, good luck tonight on your premiere. Thanks. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Cool. Thanks for listening. Remember to tune in for Indie Film Weekly this Thursday, and you can hear another interview podcast on Monday. If you like the show, you can go ahead and give us five stars on iTunes. Remember to subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use, and we will see you in a couple of days.